everybody. Welcome to another edition of The Lighter Side of Serial Killers here on the Boom Bastic Media Network. I am your host, Keith Rovere. I'm an author and collector of true crime art and memorabilia. I have spent the last 20 years, if not 20 plus years of my life, in prison outreach, aftercare, rehabilitation, trying to bring awareness of our American prison system, uh, how it's more of a lock up and throw away the key and punish, punish, punish. They don't realize that some of these men and women are going to be let out and they're going to be twice the monster they were when they went in now, without rehabilitation. Um, I choose uh, myself, for me, moi, uh, to reach out to those whom the world deems unlovable, uh, at least the majority of the world. They don't care. I'll lock them up, throw away the key. Yep, until they get released and move next door to you and your little children. Um, so I make it my goal in life. Uh, to rehabilitate the best I can, my little tiny part, by showing love and compassion, uh, again, to those whom the world might deem unlovable. Uh, and there has been much progress made. Um, people think, oh, what can I do? How can I help out? There's a lot you can do. Um, I give many examples of people throughout my life and from serial killer Dana Gray and her strides that she's made and, uh, and countless things. You've read my books, um, Serial Killers in Heaven, Victims in Hell, my new one, The Story of You about Yumasaki. Um, you check it out for all those stories. But today, speaking of those whom the world deems unlovable, we hear the name Charles Manson. Uh, we see on magazines, all oh, the face of evil. Eh, maybe. Um, but today, uh, we're going to speak of uh, speak to one of uh, his family members. Former members, that is. Bruce Davis. Now, I've been friends with a few different family members over the years. Um, Charles Tex Watson being probably one of the first people I reached out to uh, with some notoriety, if you will. But I've known Bruce Davis almost just as long, uh, mostly through letters. We only recently started talking on the phone. Uh, he agreed uh, come to my podcast. Uh, now, it's in Quentin. They're allowed free phone calls, but they're only allowed 15 minutes. Uh, so it's we're going to do it in multiple parts. It's going to take a while um, to get all the information out there. So tonight's just going to be part one, and we can hear from him. Uh, so enough of me babbling. Let's get on to Bruce Davis. Again, this is the lighter side of serial killers. So we're not just going to find out about crimes and all the, the true crime stuff about you know about their lives, but you know, get to know them as a person. This is not what Wikipedia and murder Murderpedia, whatever that goofy site's called, this is about the crimes of everything. I'm going to get to know them as a person, what they're doing now, how they how, how their life has changed, if it has changed at all. Obviously, some people that we talk to on here, their life haven't changed at all, and they, want to change. they don't want to change. So kind of like chipping away at a at a hard rock or a statue uh, to get to the goodness in some people. Um, but again, I'll let the listener, uh, or if you're uh, familiar with my books, the reader, you know, make their own decisions about people. Um, but I really enjoy talking to Bruce Davis. Uh, hopefully some of that comes through in our conversations. Uh, so here is my conversation, or one of my conversations. It's going to be a, a multiple part with Bruce. Um, with Bruce Davis. Bruce, how you doing, brother? Good to finally hear from you. Yeah, well, good to hear from you. <laughs> How's everything with you today? Well, it's good. Uh, we have no complaints. We have a few inconveniences, but that's about it. Well, that doesn't sound too bad, <laughs> considering, right? No. Hey, it could be a whole lot worse. Yeah. That's for sure. <laughs> Everybody uh, staying healthy over there? I know COVID's still lingering around, and uh, especially in a, you know, 
closed uh, space facilities. Uh, it still lingers a bit. Uh, how's everybody making out of it there? Has it kind of worked its way through the system? Very, uh, we hardly hear them. We hardly hear about them anymore. Every now and then somebody, somebody gets it, but uh, I, I can't remember the last time we, we really heard of a specific case, at least in our building, you know. Uh, I'm, at, I'm in Fair Hill. Uh, uh, the surroundings around here are pretty, uh, uh, they're pretty non-threatening. So it's, it's easy to live here. And uh, I, I know a ton of people. Well, you would get to know people like that in 50 years, I guess. The Lord is keeping me all the time, so that's the main thing. Now, you had mentioned something in your last letter uh, about something that you were working on that you might need my help or somebody's help uh, uh, doing for you, something about a book. I'm asking for a favor. I, I'm, I'm not, but here's what I want. I wish somebody would say, every, uh, like on your podcast, say, uh, Davis is writing an autobiography, and he and Manson were co-defendants in a couple cases that nobody's really heard of. Thank goodness they, they weren't they weren't sensationalized like the tape murder that I wasn't in, but he was. Anyway, what I want is to ask the person: Do you have any questions about me, my case, the Manson phenomenon? A, a question about what happened when? Uh, who did what with, with, with this? When did that happen? Uh, or, or anything like that, just question. Because, because I know that I don't know everything. And there will be some questions that stimulate something, bring something back, that is part of the story that I just missed. Right? I, I, there's things that I, just, I, I really didn't think were important at the time, and it just passed. Some I, some I probably tried to forget. That's a possibility. And, and all those things, but not, those kind of ideas, I want to read them and give them all a, you know, proper consideration and response. Now, I know a lot of, a lot of it will be redundant and all that, and, and I don't care. I just want to, I'm looking for the ones that will make a difference in, in, in the story, because so, I want to I get it. What might be a good idea, and I did this for uh, another podcast that I did, whereas I asked uh, the listeners and those who follow me on social media uh, to ask their questions. Because obviously I'll have you know, my own questions, but I'm sure there would be some things that uh, I didn't know about or I'm not, I wasn't thinking about. And I'll just compile a list of questions for you, write them all down, uh, and send them out to you. And that way hopefully that kind of jogs your memory some things uh, you forgot about, uh, purposely or unconsciously you know, forgot about. Uh, and see what happens. Listen, you know, that's a good idea. That is a, that sounds to me like, yeah. Okay, cool. Now, I'll get working on that. And, and I already know, I, mean, I already uh, put out there that we're going to be uh, doing a podcast together. Um, and everybody's really excited. Uh, it's um, it, it's not so much about the blood and guts of everything, although, you know, I'm sure there will be a few questions about that. Um, but like the ranch. Everybody's dying to know about the ranch. What happened at the ranch? How was what was life like living there? And we'll certainly get into that. Um, but it's just—I mean, to this day, it's still fascinating. Uh, everything about <laughs> Manson. Yeah. Well, that's because I know this. I know this. The subject of Manson is hot because my theory is this: the culture, the modern culture, cannot accept the real reason why that little guy got these people to do this terrible thing. This mm -hmm. little undersized person. How do 
if you convince these people to do this stuff, I know, I know from from the dark side what was, and, and anybody could know that that accepts there is a dark side, influencing, and how he got into all that. Well, but it influenced, but but the culture can't accept it because they say, well, that's just a myth. So they are they are left with a mystery, and that's always very engaging. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to know the answer. And they can't really accept the real one. So they, everybody has a theory. But here's a story that's got mystery, it's got sex, drugs, and violence. Boy, that's very appealing to this culture. And uh, I have an idea that that's, what, that's, that's the big draw. And also, um, we haven't really had too many people come out uh, sober you know, after all these years and really explain uh in a setting like this where there's no judgment or just you know no agenda uh just explaining what happened uh how he like i said how this little guy was able to mind control people um because honestly a lot of times you know the most candid interviews were back uh in the late 60s or early 70s um even when the film documentary i went to the ranch uh and interviewed some of the girls and some of the guys too they were just high you know they're 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 just high as a kite. So obviously they weren't thinking clearly. They were still in their mind. Maybe on that Manson trip, you know, reality really hasn't hadn't set in at the time. They weren't getting a pure purely clear understanding um, of what this man said and did um, because they're basically still on acid. The beginning of, of the book says there may be something to the to the saying that if you remember the sixties. You probably weren't even there. Yes, <laughs> that's true. So, I, so, I, and so what you're going to hear from me is, is, is just my perspective. And uh, uh, it, it might not be the same interpretation as everybody, as a lot of other people. Uh, uh, so what you're, what's coming from me was, well, it was something like this. And that's the framework, right? And uh, so, so I said, you might even call this infotainment. <laughs> Uh, I know some other uh, former members wrote, wrote a book too. Um, I know you know Tex Watson uh, has a book. I know it's, most of it's about uh, you know his, Christ, his life as a Christian, his transformation, if you will. Um, I believe that you and Charles or Tex, however you refer to him by, were at the same facility for a while. Um, were you guys friendly? Uh, did it keep you guys apart? Um, obviously, you're a Christian now, and, and he's a Christian. Now, did you kind of get together at church service, or uh, did you not talk at all? I was in I was in Folsom, Folsom well, it was just Folsom Prison, between 72 and 80. And then in 80, I got sent to CMC. That's down in San Luis Obispo. Watson, Watson had been there since, I don't know, about 74, 75. And he stayed there. We were together. We we ministered in the chapel together until '92, and he got transferred. We were there from '80 until '92 together. So we had 12 years. Uh, bang! Watson is a, a, a for real guy, man. I didn't understand much about it until I read his book. I knew parts, and, and we had known each other before we got busted. You know. When you guys first met up, or again anyway, uh, did you know um, that he became a Christian? I knew that I knew that he was a believer before I even got there because he, I think his book came out just a little. Well, it came out before 1980. I think it came out in 77. I'm not sure exactly, but I I, I had read it already. 
So I, I knew, you know, I knew where that was at. And, and I knew Susan Atkins had come to the Lord uh, before that, too. And so, I mean, that was, so I, I knew, I knew, you know, who, what he was about when I, when I got to, to uh, CMC. And we just, we just took off from there and ministered together. And uh, it was it for a long time. Now, were you and Tex uh, close uh, back in the day, if you will? Uh, back in uh, the family days, so to speak. Nobody was close in those days. You know, this is this is a this is like you know they talk about the uh, the secrets in an alcoholic home. Well, this is this was this had dysfunction uh, with a couple zeros on it for that. Uh-huh. Nobody was really close. Nobody was. I don't believe because everybody was in their you know in their dope their, their dope and fantasies. And that keeps you from ever being, you know, really real. We, we we had we had our memory of our history together, or parts of it at least. <laughs> but uh, far being close. Yeah, especially with kind of Charlie at the um, front and center, if you will, one one to be idolized and worshipped. I guess it wasn't really um, that relationship building, you know, especially when everybody's high or tripping, you know, and and Charlie wants all the attention. No, there was no such thing as real relationships. There were there were a lot of fantasy relationships, I'm sure, because everybody was everybody wanted something, you know, and uh, so uh, you could tell how unreal they were by the results. You know. Now, speaking of being a Christian, uh, it's known that Charlie used the Bible. Um, I don't know to con- convince people of who he was, or that they thought he was God and Jesus Christ. Um, and obviously the Beatles tied into it. Uh, which scriptures did Charlie actually use? I know, I know. Uh, at least he kept talking about Revelation a lot. Yeah, that was it. You know, you know, he just, you know, Charlie just had, he just had, a, he had just had a spiel, and it was very effective, right? And he would, he would read Revelation nine, just pick it apart, and say, oh yeah, this is that, and this is this, and this is that. You know, just, you know. Just something to uh, kind of convince the ignorant. And we, we were ignorant, all right. Actively ignorant. Do you remember anything uh, specific that he would say from the Bible? No, not not anything specific. Oh, so he was just kind of pulling passages here and there and making stuff up, <laughs> I guess. Never from the Bible in particular, only from the, the, the Revelation 9. Ah, uh, okay, I gotcha. I mean, that was the main thing. If he, if he said anything other than that, I don't remember it. Okay, so it wasn't so much about the passages that he used or said, since he wrote in a quote much outside of the Revelation uh, chapter. It's true about, I guess, himself being more of a salesman or a, a, that guru uh, that convinced people to do what he wants. Hey, listen, all of us were only about ourselves. I mean, that's the definition of, of that. Hey, listen, I have a writing that a guy who lived next to Charlie down in, uh, when, when they were in Corcoran for a long time, wrote this thing when Charlie got the diagnosis and how he came to the Lord. And uh, the, the, guy that, the guy that wrote it, Bill, I don't know if you remember this, but Bill Cosby, his son got hijacked on the L.A. freeway. And, and the guy, this Russian guy, Michael Mikovic or some funny foreign name, he's a Russian, he wrote this piece. And, boy, I tell you what, the guy is a great writer. Well, I don't know if he's a great writer, but he's a good writer. Boy, you just read this. Wow, man. But he, he's pretty literate. Anyway, I'll send you a copy if you'd like. 
Yeah, of course. Definitely want to check it out. Well, just be sure. And I'm, I'm, going, I'm, going to, I'm going to put it in the book. And I'm going to say, well, now, this is what one person said. And I said, I believe it personally because I, I, I just, I just believe it's right. And uh, and the, there's another report, and this is just hearsay, from a nurse. He was in Angels of Mercy Hospital in Bakersfield, and and there and there was a report of the nurse who said something about Charlie talking to her about the Lord, or something like some some something like that. I'm not sure when he died. So I, I've, I've never been able to confirm that. I'd like to, but uh, anyway, uh, it's just an it's just an interesting thing. No, you said you and uh, Charles Watson, Tex, um, used to minister together at the chapel. Did you find that people um, listened more intently uh, to you? What you guys had to say? I mean, did they knew who you were? Hey, this is my background. Now I was a Manson family member, but now. Uh, the Lord had delivered me. You know, did they, did you use that? What we'll call, I guess, testimony. Uh, was it a powerful thing, or they didn't really know who you were, and you just went around just like normal ministers? Or did you use your background um, to really try to get through the people? Well, you know, I never led with that. Never said, "Hi, I'm Bruce," because I, I just kept that in the background. Because I, I knew I knew the Holy Spirit was powerful enough that when I told him, when I told him, you know what the Lord had done for me, that I know that's going to register. Well, I didn't know it at the moment, but I, mm-hmm. I always had faith in it. And, and of course, as, as, you know, the Holy Spirit's good for his word. It helped people. And then, and then later on, people say, oh, man, I heard you were with Charlie, blah, blah, blah. And I usually just play it down. I said, yeah, well, that's during my stupid period. I didn't want, I, I was not about to get in, well, what you guys do and all that stuff. You know, that's, um, I don't know. I I never I never liked that. I, I, I didn't avoid. I didn't ever avoid it, but never wanted that to be. You know, the first thing a person thought. I, I hope the first thing a person thought about me. Man, here's one of those Jesus people. No, I've talked to text before about uh, about music. Um, what back in the day before you, you, know, you guys got busted when you're running around, especially in that uh, California scene, Hollywood, San Francisco, and all the whole area. I mean, that was. Um, one of the the best times for me, anyway, for music. Uh, I just like that jam band kind of style. I guess I'm an old hippie at heart myself. Um, what was some of the kind of music were you into? I mean, did you get to see any of the you know, famous bands back then, like the Hendrix, the Grateful Dead, Joplin, um, in that scene? That's you know, a lot of them came from, stemmed from that scene. Uh, did you get to see any uh, great live music or knew any of the people uh, back then, or wasn't uh, music wasn't really your thing? I wasn't really into any music. Uh, in in the sixties, when I was just getting out of high school and starting to college, I used to listen to Dylan and Joe Baez, uh, 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 Leonard Cohen, and 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 those are the other ones I can remember right offhand. I probably heard a lot more. But then there was always country. There was always country music that I well, I really didn't care for rubbed off on me, and, and when I sing, it sounds just like it, so I guess I might as well relax. And uh, and so that that's, I only bought two records, and uh, one was a, one was Nashville Skyline, but it was Bob Dylan, 67, and Country Joe, Country Joe and the Fish, Electronic Music for the Body and Soul. I saw those guys, I saw those guys in New York on my way to, on my way to Spain, 
part of the scene when uh when the beach boys were hanging with you guys or at least you know dennis wilson uh as always you, you know you hear stories about him hanging out with charlie all the time or the family hanging out with him were you part of it uh he was a lost soul oh really yeah in what way and well you know i lost people they just from here to there living living out of their sure there's going to be you know so many great stories in your book have you actually started writing uh the actual book um or are you just kind of taking some notes and we're going to help you out with you know send you a bunch of questions to help you, you know drag your memory but do you actually have anything written down or, or an outline or anything or i've got, probably got a hundred pages of double space typewritten uh for i've laid it all out I mean, the chronology, that's the easy part, because that just, that just goes from one day to the, to the present. And, and I, I've written a lot, written a lot in it. And um, now I'm just, I'm just waiting on these questions to arrive so I can, you know, I know. And I've got, I've got a few other things to put in, but, you know, it's, I'm just looking to fill in the details. And, uh, and there's, a, there's a lot that, I don't know, I, I'll probably be finished with this. I don't know, in a few months. Oh. Who knows how long it's going to take? No, what kind of, uh, what are, do you have you know, written any stories out? More like you said about the timeline. Uh, what kind of stuff do you have already? Give us a little sneak peek. Well, after all, basically, the, uh, uh, the little turning points all through the, all through the story is the times that God intervened in my life. And, uh, and, mo- and several of them before I knew the Lord, I didn't know God was doing it. I just thought I was lucky, I guess. I don't know why. But, I, but as, I, as I hear what other people said about it and, and, and look back, you know, and see it, I'm mad. I can tell something. So God is the hero of the story. Uh, can you recollect the first time? You said looking back, you've seen God in your life. Um, do you remember the first time? Um, you felt that, or looking back, like, you know what, I, I think <laughs> this is where the Lord was calling me, <laughs> if you will. Well, I had a, I had a, a hernia when I was born, and um, uh, this, so I was about a year old, and um, 
my mom, my mom had really rejected God when she was young, mm. and she was a rebel. And so she she was she didn't believe she wouldn't pray or any of that stuff. But her aunt said, "Hey, we got a lady at church who wants to come pray for proof." And so my mom kind of, well, I won't I won't deny any kind of help. And so the lady prayed for me, and I was healed. Wow. Yeah, there's a big story around it. I'm writing all the details down. So. That's and, amazing. Uh, you know, things like that. I, 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 we were riding in a taxi cab in Mobile. I was about four or five. And I was leaning over the door handle. It went around the curtains. The door opened. And I, I took a tumble out of the taxi cab <laughs> across a lane. I don't know how many lanes of traffic I went across. But I landed sitting down on the curb. <laughs> it wasn't hurt a bit. But the taxi driver was really free because if somebody gets hurt in the taxi, he's in trouble. Right? I'm sure. Oh, that's but, you know, the Lord was keeping me all this time. You know? And, and there's all this. So I'm all right. I'm just right about them. And, and, and that's kind of the, the different sessions. There's all kinds of funny stories about how my mom pranked me when I was in the first grade. And then, uh, and then, how I how I got introduced to, to tobacco when I was really young, and uh, I, I my granddad had snuff, and it was powdered, right? I don't know if you ever seen that before. Oh sure, yeah. They said, well, I pulled the lid. It was sitting on the coffee table, and I I, I pulled the lid off of it, and it has this. Uh, it's not a force fit, but it's kind of a of a, of a running kit in a machine shop, be a running kit where when you put when you put this metal lid on this uh, glass bottle, glass jar, it's it's virtually airtight. So I yanked it off, and when I yanked it, of course, it made a little pop and a little vacuum, and a few few little dust particles and that snuff got in my nose, right? And I sneezed, and when I sneezed right into the thing, then it's a huge. You know, you sneeze into a talcum powder, it's going to blow everywhere. Yeah. And then I sneezed, and then I gasped. That's what you do after you sneeze. <laughs> and now I got a whole snoop full of this snow. Oh, no. And it, it was a crazy story. I was going through all my self-inflicted. <laughs> <laughs> now, I remember reading uh, one of your letters, or it might even been one of the pamphlets you included, kind of giving your testimony, if you will, um, that... Your, your conversion to Christianity um, happened at a water fountain. Was that the first time you really um, seriously thought about God there uh, at the water fountain? The first time, I was standing on the chair waiting for my friends to push some hash. And this voice spoke to me, says, you'll never get high again. And, and all my addictions just disappeared. I didn't, I didn't know who it was. I, ne- I never put it together that God was trying to. You know, be good to me to bring me to repentance, like Romans two four. But uh, but I didn't realize that. And then later, then when I was getting a drink on the yard, and he said, "Look at the yard, you what do you see?" I still didn't know who, who was talking. I just thought I just I don't know what I was thinking, but I sure didn't connect it with God. And um, and and then and then I admitted, I said, "Hey, man, I need help." Then then later on. Um, I, I was reading a copy of the great, late great planet Earth, which was kind of pop, 
sort of pop prophecy when everything was supposed to happen and we were supposed to have the rapture and all that kind of stuff. But it's a big seller. Anyway, I read the book. And uh, I didn't. Once I realized it was a Christian book, I got ready to throw it out. And the same voice spoke to me and said, hey, you said you wanted help. This book claims to be help. Read it. If there's no help, then throw it away. So God always puts me in check. (laughs) So I read it. And and that's when when it... What really got me was I was reading the... uh, one of the mathematical odds of Jesus of Nazareth being God's Messiah by design or by dubious destiny. And, uh, and, and so it didn't take very long to, for this thing to get up to, you know, 10 times 10 to the 12 or something like that. I mean, it's a ridiculous number. And I, I knew enough about, I knew that the odds were important. I, I worked at a, a Harris Club one time in Lake Tahoe. So I knew that I didn't really know how they figured the odds, but I knew the odds were part of the business model because they, they so I knew it's important. So so when I when I saw that I went, Oh man and then the, then then like God says, uh, which side is better you are? <laughs> I gave up right now. I said, Hey, I, I I could I could argue about a lot of things, but you can't argue this against risk of it. And so that's what I I, I said, okay. The Lord took me through several other changes before I really just really got it. I remember reading probably the same thing. Uh, I forget what book. It might have been Strobel's book. Um, it's, it's an apologetic book. He was saying if you just take the 30 major prophecies that say Jesus was God, if you just pick a handful, like nine or something, like a small handful, I think the odds that you were referring to was 10 to the 17th power. Uh, what that means um, for those listening is that if you take the state of Texas and fill it knee-deep in silver dollars, all right, the whole state of Texas is filled about two feet high in silver dollars, and only one of those silver dollars is painted red, you have one chance blindfolded to pick the red coin. That's that's the astronomical odds that we're talking about uh, here. I think that's the same thing that, uh, that you read. There's a there's a book by uh, Strong, a guy named Strong, and it's called Science. Of the, I think it's Science of the Bible. Uh, it's not in print now, but you can get you can get it online. And um, uh, it, he 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 said he was a, a math teacher. I think it was math or statistics or something. Uh, it was Christian. He got a whole class of his college kids, and they sat down and they went over all these odds. And man. The way he broke it down, I mean, it's just, it's just tremendously big numbers, you know. And he wrote, you know, Messiah speaks. That's the name of the book. And so the, the, the lady here in the in, in the in the library, she she printed out a bunch of a bunch of the, the pages because they're they're available, right? And, and talked about it. It's pretty interesting. In, in, in my in my book, in my testimony too. Where I wrote it out, I just took real simple ones. I mean, the super simple ones that are very right on the surface. Jesus has to be a, a, a son of, of, of Adam and Noah and uh, and David and Abraham, just those, right? Mm-hmm. And just just breaking down through that, it gets to be a humongous number. I like how C.S. Lewis, uh, a Christian writer, puts it: Jesus was either a liar 
a lunatic, or he was who he said he was, God. <laughs> you know, that puts it plain enough. Now, that's true. There's a famous C.S. Lewis scholar. His name is Peter Crift. Peter, Peter Crift is a, he's a professor of philosophy at Boston College, and he's written a ton of, he written a ton of books. And one of the books he wrote was Between Heaven and Hell. Uh, John F. Kennedy got killed on the 22nd of November 1963. Mm -hmm. C.S. Lewis died that day, and so did Oculus Huxley. Yeah. And, uh, and so they're in this book, and they go through this. Speaking of beginnings, um, how about we start at your beginning? I mean, obviously, I've read um, you were, you know, I think your late teens uh, when you left home. And eventually, as you made your way to you know, Charlie and his family, um, but what was your living situation like in your house, your home? I heard your dad wasn't, you know, the best of guys. Uh, was that the reason you decided to uh, uh, to move out uh, and head cross country? Well, my dad and I, our, our relationship would be nice about it and just call it chaotic. <laughs> but it, it was it was off and on. It was bad and some spots kind of good, and other anyway. But it wasn't good. And and what really made me want to leave, I had been I'd been back to uh, I'd been back to the, uh, UT University of Tennessee in about the second year. My grades were just terrible. It was a huge waste of time to go to school, but it only cost one hundred twenty five dollars a quarter for to go. Right. So, uh, but I got I got tired of that, and so I just told my mom, Hey, I'm I'm going I'm going out to the West Coast, and I didn't know anybody out here. I just knew I was going, right? And so, um, so I started hitchhiking. She gave, she gave me fifty dollars. I pinned it inside my pants, and a few dollars in my pocket, and I took off and uh, went to um, went all the way to Tulsa, hit Route sixty six, and then went to went all the way to Kingman on that, up through Vegas and down. Anyway, but. Uh, I was just restless. Uh, wanted to. Well, my my idea of how to my conflict resolution style turned into avoidance. Mm. When things got a little bit close, I just moved. Just moved. So I became a drifter, and uh, just the path of least resistance. Man, I was just looking for a, you know, uh, a new girlfriend, uh, uh, some adventure or something. Uh, Back then, you know, it was so easy. In the 60s, I've hitchhiked across country several times with $2 in my pocket and got there with, with change already. <laughs> Never occurred to me that anything bad could happen. I got in cars with strangers. I picked up strangers in cars. It, never, it just never occurred to me that anything but it would be okay. You know, it just didn't. And we never heard about crazy stuff going on. Uh, where I was from, I, I never knew anybody whose house got broken into or a car got stolen. Mm. I never knew anybody that stole a car. Because this is rural Tennessee, right? Eastern Tennessee. Anyway, so, so that, that's how I uh, that's how I first went to the West Coast. I ended up and uh, I ended up in San Francisco. Uh, I got. Uh, I, I answered an ad in the paper and went to work at uh, Harris Lake Tahoe. And I went up to Lake Tahoe. I worked as a bar boy for a while. Worked, worked with the um, with a roulette dealer. 
And fortunately, uh, I had a couple of devil scotches before I was supposed to take a dealer's school. So it, it, it was a good thing. Because if I, I, I like the place that had just too much fun. And if I'd have got involved in that business and stuff, it would have been, it would have been bad. been a lot worse than it was. But uh, I got out of there. And uh, then I went back to school for a minute. Then I went back to California. Just back and forth a lot. It was, it was pretty, uh, pretty unplanned. I never planned more than a day and a half. Well, I don't even know if I ever planned a day and a half ahead. I just took what came and just took the best, took the best choice that what looked like the best choice at the time and went with that. And as I looked back, I thought, boy, I was, well, I was blind, you know. I was blind to my, to who I was, what I was, I had no, I had no idea about it. Now, were you part of the so-called uh, hippie culture? Um you know, as you're hitchhiking around, it sounds like kind of a, a hippie-ish thing to do. Um, or did that kind of a hippie lifestyle um, come about after you met Charlie? Well, the only, the only thing I liked about the, the so-called hippies was drugs. Yes. <laughs> a, a, friend, a friend on a job of mine, I was working at a big welding shop in uh, 65. He said, hey, you want to smoke a joint? I knew better to do that. I knew better. But I said, yeah. And then I couldn't say no after I said yes because my pride was way out of hand. <laughs> so I smoked a joint. One thing led to another, and I started started smoking grass and taking acid. And I did that for several years, well, until I met Johnny in 68. So I was already well into it, you know, um, well-practiced in psychedelic drugs. Now you said you met Charles Manson in uh, 68. Um, so what was that experience like? Well, you're, you're high, you're stoned, you're tripping, and here comes Charles Manson. You know, I, uh, I went to, there's a place called Tanga Canyon, and, and at that time it was kind of a hippie hangout. It's, uh, it's between Malibu and, um, Santa Monica, uh, running north off the, uh, Pacific Coast Highway toward, toward the valley. And, uh, I was over there, I was going to score some. So a guy said, hey, I know where we can go. So I took him in my car. We pulled into a, uh, a liquor store in Malibu. And as soon as I parked, the Malibu sheriff, the county L.A. sheriff, pulled up and rousted us. Now, my friends, a couple of them, they were holding lightweight. And I was clean. My car had just been vacuumed. I knew I didn't have anything, but they, they arrested me for, for possession. I got through out and all that, but I went through a lot of changes about it. Later on, later on, I met those guys again. They said, "Hey, uh, we borrowed a saw, a big crosscut saw from this old crazy guy up on the hill. How about a ride in your car?" So they told me, says, "This guy here's got all these girls." And when they said girls, my antenna went. Eh. <laughs> uh, I, got, I, I met Charlie, and uh, he invited me in. And one thing led to another. I was I was a goner. Within three hours. How big was uh, his family, if you will, at uh, that time? Oh, there was probably uh, oh, there's probably five girls. I mean, that was the attraction. Uh, you know, sex and drugs. That was the big attraction. And and, and when I saw, and, and I'll tell you what, when I saw when I saw it in my head, I said, I'm gonna get a piece of this. Right? That was I made my mind up. 
it, I was like I was like a fish looking at a whole ball of uh, of worms all squirming around, but I didn't see the hook in those worms. So I see those worms and I go breakfast. And a minute and a minute later, he winds up to somebody else's breakfast. And that's you know that's how I got into the fire into the, straight to the fire pit. Do you think Charlie actually used the women to bring other people, especially men, into the family? Oh, well, yeah. My goodness. That is a, uh, uh, women and drugs have been the, been the lure for the dark side since the beginning. That's, that's, that's a classic, that's classic stuff, historically. And what do you think was Charlie's reasoning for building a family, you know, bringing people in, men and women, um, was it a master plan, or what in your mind uh, was his reasoning? Well, he wanted power, and, and and people around him that he could, that he was certain of, gave him certainty for the future. You know what I mean? That's what power is: being able to control the future to some degree, right? Because he'd been he'd been through a lot of time in prison ever since he was. Kid. He'd been kicked around, turned out, thrown away, used and abused, right? And so his desperation, he wants power. He needs control. And so he, he found out that he had a very persuasive way of talking. He learned that he had to learn to negotiate. He couldn't fight. He's too small. So he, he learned to negotiate. And uh, he, got, he, got, he, he, learned, he learned how to do it. And... Uh, by the time he got out, 57, uh, he was pretty good at it. And uh, started, to collect, started to collect these empty-headed, don't-know-what-I'm-doing, middle-class kids. You remember the very first time uh, that you met him? <laughs> the first time you actually laid eyes on uh, Charles Manson? He, he was They were all sitting under a big willow tree. And he was in an antique... Uh, uh, bathtub with claw feet and he was in there and four or five girls were dancing around they were all smoking joints giving him a bath that's the first time i saw well that that'll leave a first impression for sure well yeah that's that's the one i said hey i gotta get some of this oh i did (laughs) yeah i don't think i can blame you on that one i'm pretty sure i would have hung around for a few minutes longer myself now was uh was everybody very accepting of you when you first came in charlie and uh, the girls when Charlie says he's good, the girls say yeah. Oh wow! They were they were trained to do what he wants. He had them well trained. I mean, it's sad to say, but I mean, because they see they wanted something from him, and they believed he was the source of what they really wanted. And what do you think that was? Well, they want they wanted they wanted a strong father figure man, and they wanted romance, and this that and the other. Just like women want, right? So he understood that. Now, it seemed like in a short period of time, there was a lot of members to the family. I mean, how big did the family actually get? Like, look at pictures of the ranch. Um, it just seemed like there were just so many members. How many members uh, in total or approximately were there? It never really got that big. That's part of the mythology, and there's a lot of that. Wow. Uh, and actually, one of the questions I was going to ask you is, you know, what are some of the myths out there uh, that just aren't true? Obviously, you were there. 
um, what the public thinks is true that really isn't? I can't, I can't really answer that because I don't know the myths. I mean, I've heard parts of it. I don't know them all. Uh, but I, I, when I write this, I'll tell you what is, what's not a myth. <laughs> Subtract that from all the myths and not leave it, you know. Okay. Hey, I got to run. I, I'll, be, I'll be in touch. Yeah, good to talk to you, buddy. You too, brother. Uh, we'll get those questions right out to you also. Yeah, I appreciate that, man. Be in touch. God bless you. All right. Well, there you have it, Bruce Davis from the Manson family. This is just going to be part one. Um, I talk to Bruce almost every day in the last couple of weeks, um, putting uh, this together. Um, as you heard, I'm on compiling a, a list of all kind of questions. I actually... Um, I have like nine pages of questions from different topics about his faith, about the ranch, about the murders. Like we're going to go into detail about everything uh, as much as he's comfortable talking about. You heard him say he wants to be asked all the questions. So I'm going to ask him all the questions. Um, but I really wanted, uh, in some of our conversations, and obviously that, I, you know, that aren't recorded, um, he really wants to look over this list of questions and really give some good answers that he can think about. Um, so we're going to have some more. Uh, from Bruce Davis, I hope you enjoyed this podcast. It's not every day uh, you get to hear from a Manson family member. Again, I try to do things a little differently. Obviously, the lighter side of serial killers, it's not just talking about the crimes. There's some people who just want to hear about the crimes. There's other people who want to hear about rehabilitation. So I try to do a little bit of everything. I have a multiple guests and you know, different people on. Um, so I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, I appreciate the, all the following, all the love, all the positive feedback. Hopefully, we're doing a little something, doing a little something different here than everybody else. Uh, and cool. Until next time, see ya.